everybody welcome to another episode of cape town and we're a superhero podcast about superhero things i'm tyler huckabee i'm chris youngblood i'm hannah mazel and i'm right ham and we're all back together for the first time in what like a mo- i guess it's only seven, been seven. <laughs> one episode but it feels like the first time in a long time that we've all been in the same room together last time it was just me and chris that was a that was a, a dual project it got a little weird it got weird. Did you guys listen to last week's episode, or did you uh, did you skip it because you wanted to avoid spoilers? Yeah, I'm like I'm kind of in a spoiler free Avengers four mindset. I listened up until you guys got to the spoilers, so that's why I switch. You know, the listeners know I'm sick. I sound terrible, but I'm here because last week or last episode, I should say, uh, I heard Tyler and Chris go on and on about how taking care of their dogs is like taking care of children. Man, that's a, that's a hell of a can't thing. have that. <laughs> the integrity of, of, of our podcast is just going down. I don't think that's what no. we said. I feel like we qualified it a little bit. No, we, we just like, the only thing we have to relate to people when they start talking about their kids is our animals. And, but we realize like how shallow that is. Like there's no actual substance to us saying like, oh yeah, you want to share your story about your kid. Well, my cat also just like cuddles with me and it's awesome yeah like there's no there's no comparison there so like we always just feel like kind of left out of the conversation i think the one thing i did say is that i feel like two animals is the equivalent of one human person because there's no way of actually figuring out if that's true or not i'm going to stand by it so i have i have four (laughs) kids then instead of two that's like having eight animals (laughs) (laughs) That yeah. actually, that makes sense. That explains my stress levels so much better. Eight animals does sound like a lot of animals, and four kids sounds like a lot of kids. So I don't feel like the, what I'm saying is complete. I feel like the math checks out. Yeah, except, I mean, you're still missing that uh, animal never looks at you and sa- repeats back what you said and then just adds no. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to get into it too much, that, but we did talk about uh, my own dog and the stray that I found. Uh, last week who are who we still have is still with me um and that's my only real thing i have to compare it to parenthood so hannah i do appreciate i think i have a new appreciation for what you and ryan do based on the animals that i have in my household right now and i do appreciate you setting aside time and family for you to be here with us tonight to talk about Hawkman and hot girl who are the they're the subjects of tonight's episode tonight we're recording of today's episode well, I have a lot of thoughts about Hawkman and Hot Girl. I have more thoughts about why we're talking about them than about the characters themselves, but we'll get into that. Before we get into that, we're going to get into the news. It's been kind of a slow news week this week. I just found, I, I literally just like clicked on a report that came up while we were talking about this, that, and what I assume is going to be part of this new Marvel streaming series, they're going to be creating a Falcon and Winter Soldier, a Sam and Bucky TV show uh, that'll be part of that. When I said this, when I announced this, I dropped it into the group. There was a mixture of like, hmm, interesting responses from you guys. I'm curious where they'll go with it. Like if it's Bucky, I feel like them announcing this kind of gives an opening for like some more theories about what Avengers 4 is going to hold for us. Um, At least in my mind, my mind immediately goes to it's like how they cope with like because both Bucky and Sam have held the uh, Captain America mantle in the comic books. So I just like I'm curious if that's the direction they're going to go of like them doing this. Like, how do they like how do they fill the shoes of Steve Rogers when there is no Steve Rogers? Because like they both like in their time under the Captain America mantle represented two very different ideals like i think so um it could be very interesting to see like what direction they actually go with this and yeah i think my mind's already running on like when and like when and how this like show is actually gonna uh take place that was why i was surprised too um just because like it felt like the whole time you know i think most of us on the podcast are assuming steve rogers is gonna die or be like wounded beyond recognition in avengers 4 you know, so I like I was sort of assuming that Bucky would take over because he signed that. Didn't he sign like another nine 
nine movie deal or something. Yeah. Um, so I guess I was just assuming he would take over his cap. Um, but I mean, I think it's a good reminder too, that like, I mean, it still could go that way, but also like the TV show universe has been handled much differently than the comics. Um, you know, I think it's a lot easier in the comic books to, um, you know, kind of have people switch uniforms or, you know, become other people for a little while or for a long time. Um, whereas like in a TV show where you have an attachment to an actor and there's like, you know, back-end deals being built, uh, that's like a lot harder prospect. Hannah, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think like theorizing-wise, you guys, I think, have made some really good points. I think just in terms of those two characters and what we've seen so far, I think that they've really built a solid um, camaraderie kind of between these two characters. We saw it start with in Winter Soldier um, with with Sam and Bucky kind of being you know, we definitely enemies, uh, like, you know, almost like, you know, they're, uh, Sam is Cap's new best friend and Bucky's like his old best friend. And I feel like it, they kind of brought these two characters together and they had a little bit of friction and, but they also had some really good humor. Um, and I think that this was a good call. It makes me a little more excited about some of the new shows that are coming out. Um, as, as much as I love Loki, you know, I know that Chris loves, all the spoiler stuff, but it's just, it's sending my, my mind in too many different directions about where this movie's going to go. And I like the idea mm-hmm. of taking two characters who we've already assumed are going to have a future in the MCU post Avengers four. So I'm, I'm super excited. I think they're both great actors. Um, they've done a really good job with their characters. I'd love to see a buddy, like it'd be more of a buddy cop movie. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, that'd be great. I, and they both have like the comedic chops to do it. So I think yeah. that could be a lot of fun. I do think, like, it is a really interesting way to, like, take the sales out of the DC Universe ship, like, immediately. Um, where it's like, oh, you guys have a bad Titans show. Well, here's, like, all of our, you know, like, granted, B-tier, like, movie stars that are going to get their own shows on our new streaming platform. That really feels like a flex on the streaming service, which so far has no stars that I've ever heard of in my life for their new series. And I like. I feel like I was kind of the only. Uh, I-, I thought I was kind of alone in sort of liking Sebastian Stan's performance as Bucky in the MCU. So I'm pretty excited about it. I'm excited with how much you guys seem on board for it because I thought I was alone in that. Yeah, I mean, he plays the character that they're probably giving him, but I feel like he has so much room to like actually develop as a character, especially post Steve. Like if they actually, I feel like his appearances so far have been more like Thor one and two. And they really have the opportunity to like Ragnarok him moving forward. <laughs> but I totally hear what you're saying, and that would be great. <laughs> it seems like there's sort of a blank slate there, especially since most of his movies he's been sort of brainwashed up to this point, or else not much of a character at all. So they could still, it wouldn't be hard to switch his character up a lot and and add a lot of depth to it. And I'm sure Sebastian Stan. And, uh, and Anthony Mackie, who plays Falcon, would both like the opportunity to have a little more to do than just be Captain America's buddy who hangs out and saves his butt now and then. I, I think it's a good idea. Apparently, it's a limited series, so it won't be an ongoing thing, which is probably a smart way to do it, too, especially since these guys both are pretty busy. And it's being written by the guy who wrote Empire, which I hear is good, but have not watched yet, so I can't really weigh into that. But I like that they're doing a limited series. I feel like that's proven to be like a very good approach to making good TV, you know, like don't drag the story on. Especially with a show like this, where it seems like they work so well in sort of limited engagement. I think having an ongoing series, especially with actors of this size could just get really complicated down the road. And I like the idea of getting like, just four or five or six episodes uh, that gets, lets us see these characters in a little bit smaller, more intimate context, and then we can move on and see where MC is going to go next, which is actually something else we wanted to talk about a little bit. Uh, this, no major revelations here, but uh, the head of the MCU, Kevin Feige, he answered a few, I don't even know if you would call these like, I don't think he gave us any like a whole lot of information he, we didn't know before. But he gave us a little, he answered a few questions at a Black Panther screening. He said the Avengers 4 trailer is going to happen before the end of the year, which is not a big surprise. He said the Guardians of the Galaxy 3 status is on hold right now, which is also not a huge surprise. Uh, I personally wouldn't be surprised if the third Guardians movie just didn't end up really happening. 
And then the final thing he answered uh, was a question about whether or not Prince Namor will ever make an appearance in the MCU. And all he would say is that he could still deciding if and when. Yeah, I don't know. Like the Namor thing was like the one thing that I, uh, the one thing I held on to more than anything else. I think the Avengers 4 trailer, like there's so many different things coming out about that already that it just feels like it's right around the corner. But the Namor thing, like, yeah, I think you even talked about it last week about the potential of him like being introduced as the next like Black Panther, like not a villain, you know, like um, or antagonist even like I'd be very curious to see like that introduction, like, you know, one of the first mutants to like actually um, take the screen and maybe that'd be, even be an introduction to the X-Men universe and the new yeah. M- MCU. Yeah, they could also use the more like as a way to start because i i mean i agree i think he'd be a great antagonist for black panther because i think i think we all agree that like one of the best things a black panther movie did was to make like a really compelling villain with an actual like mm-hmm. understandable end goal you know I, I think they've sort of established wakanda as this kind of protected place that then you know t'challa is opening up and i think it would be really interesting to have like the mirror image of that where there's this like you know, hyper advanced society under the ocean that like refuses to open up mm-hmm. even after they see everything that's going on. Um, I also think it would be it could be a cool way to slowly start introducing the Illuminati um, because like that could be a really cool. We all kind of have our guesses about what the next like big thing is going to be for all the crossover movies. But having the Illuminati as a subplot is always a good thing in my book. Definitely have been the source of some of my favorite comics. We've talked a lot about the Illuminati and the new Avengers and what a pivotal part they are of a lot of my favorite crossovers. So yeah, I'm all on board with bringing the Illuminati in. And Namor, I'm going to keep saying, is a a great part of that. And I I think that uh, Ryan Coogler did such a good job in Black Panther of creating a world with Wakanda that we had never really seen before. And I love the idea of him getting to do that again with a different place. And I think Atlantis, where Prince Namor is from, it would be really interesting to see to see Coogler's take on what um, what an underwater kingdom would look like and to give him the chance to build another world from scratch. Uh, I think it will be a little bit difficult since this is going to be coming out post-Aquaman. Um, Marvel may not want to feel like they're copying somebody else's vision of an undersea kingdom, but they're going to have to do it sooner or later. All they have to do is make the CGI look good and it won't be a copy. (laughs) (laughs) Got him. Sounds like a man who finally watched Justice League. (laughs) Yeah, right. You finally dug into Justice League this week. Yeah, my brother was over and uh, it was free on HBO. And it was like one of the few movies that neither he or I or my wife had seen. So we decided to watch Justice League and it was bad. So, although I will say, having just watched it, I think we were like openly ridiculing it for most Uh of like the first like 45 minutes. Um, But then like Flash, genuinely great. Um, Flash is a great character. They should bring Ezra Miller back. He was awesome. I don't think the casting was much of the problem with any of the characters. I mean, it was. I don't think well, <laughs> Ben Affleck was pretty bad. Well, okay, but I, I don't think he was like. I don't think he was the problem with the movie. I would agree that it was not like a plus casting, but I think the movie was its own problem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were there were a lot of problems with it, but um, Ezra Miller was not one true. of them. Absolutely true. I would still really like to see him in his own Flash movie. I, I like him, and I like the character a lot. So the last thing I wanted to talk about. And this is not really news. This is a blast from the past. This is a new segment, we'll say, a first time segment that I wanted to bring to the. I found. Are any of you guys familiar with Wizard Magazine? Not at all. Mm, no. No. So Wizard was back in the in the eighties, nineties, and, and very early aughts. Maybe was like a comic book magazine, a monthly comic book magazine that got into mostly Marvel and DC, but also some some Dark Horse stuff and Top Cow at the time. And it was really the only publication that covered comic books at the time. It's no longer with us. Uh, It it was a a very, very early casualty in in the decline of print but i happened across on twitter a very old uh like dreamcat like fan casting thing that they put together after the first x-men movie was announced way back in 2000 with brian singer and they put together their dreamcast for who should play the x-men in the very first x-men movie and 
I barely remember this time. I was pretty young when this was all going down. And I don't know if casting has gotten better or if this was put together by somebody who really didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> so I would like to hear. <laughs> it genuinely feels like it was put together by someone at Tiger Beat. And yeah, like, I feel like they were trying to move into the Tiger Beat lane a little bit, but didn't really know how, didn't really understand the Tiger Beat lane. So they, yeah, I would have liked to be in the room for all of this. So it's basically like TRL. Well, that's, and that's what they said oh, okay. is at the top. So like in the intro, it says, <laughs> oh, uh, Hey, the kids seem to like that total request live show on MTV. I'm quoting from the article. What if we cast an all TRL ultimate X-Men film? Oh. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> Tune okay. in and rock on. I say this because a couple of us on this podcast like do writing and have done a lot of freelance. Can you imagine being in the heyday of print? Like that person probably got paid like a dollar a word <laughs> to write that. <laughs> it was a great incredible. time. It was a great time to be writing. You could be like this person probably paid for a really a very nice meal with this article. And, and good for, we're still talking about it yeah. years later, like almost 20 years later. So it's it's so let's get into some of the casting and let's just imagine what it might have been. So starting from the very top, we've got Carson Daly as Cyclops. Le- leading man. <laughs> not the worst one on the list. Sure. I don't know if Carson can act or not, but but he kind of, but he looks the part. And he's also insufferable. <laughs> not as insufferable as Mark McGrath. <laughs> Come on. Mark McGrath <laughs> as Wolverine is probably the worst one on the list. Well, no. There's there is actual worst one on the list that we'll get to, but Mark McGrath is Wolverine. Mark McGrath is uh, Sugar Ray, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't he on one of those like entertainment shows, like Extra or something too? Was he or Access Hollywood? One of those? Yeah, he was. He was a host on one of those. Like he after he did his whole music thing, he went into this whole like hosting like entertainment circle. He also did a game show at one point. <laughs> was he successful? Uh, you'll have to tune into my Mark McGrath podcast <laughs> that I apparently have. It's like, can you imagine being like, we need someone edgy who can carry claws. And someone's like, what about the guy who's saying every morning? <laughs> I bet it was the hair because they both kind of like both Wolverine and Mark McGrath had very noticeably ugly hair. That would be the one thing I could see kind of working. Yeah. That's not as bad as, <laughs> although I would watch this, Fred Durst as Beast. Beast, <laughs> the famously intellectual, like cerebral member of the X-Men, who's known for like scientific inquiry as the lead singer of, being played by the lead singer of Limp Biscuit. Again, this guy's getting paid a lot of money to do this, and he just had to probably play, he played the hand he was dealt. See, I actually would watch this movie and I would want Wes Borland to be Mr. Sinister, which is like a very, I know, nerdy joke, but. But that was his deal. Yeah. Yeah. It would, it would have to be a package deal. How do we feel about Pink as Jean Grey, Marvel Girl? I've always been a little baffled by Pink's popularity in general, so I have no opinion on this. She's, she's acrobatic. Not necessarily what Jean Grey is known yeah. for, but sure. <laughs> Oh God! I just thought about like Pink's obituary of like that's her key trait. She was acrobatic. She was acrobatic. Fame, flexible singer. Pink. I mean, to explain that, it's because I have watched a lot of uh, award shows with my in-laws, which have sure. had Pink heavily featured, and usually she's doing some sort of a lot of like, like rumbling or Actually, she is like, very floating fit. on wire wax. Um, so that's all I have to say about Pink. I don't really yeah. listen to her music. Yeah. The casting decision that's aged the best here by far is the next one. Uh, for Storm, they said Beyonce, who at the time was probably just like, she was just that girl in Destiny's Child. And, uh, and now would still, I'm sure Marvel would cast her as Storm in a second if they thought she would actually do it. She was filming uh, Austin Powers' Gold member at the time. Uh-huh. Foxy Cleopatra. <laughs> I think Beyonce wishes we wouldn't talk about that. And reach her power i'm gonna just go we'll move on from that uh and then nick lachey as colossus oh that would have been great nick lachey of 98 degrees probably better known at the time as mr jessica simpson fun fact uh nick lachey uh, is from ohio where i live uh he tried to become a marijuana magnet in a recent election that would have given him one of the only, the state's only 13 licenses to have a grow house. So that's what he's up to these days. <laughs> that's fascinating. Yeah. Little, little tidbit. Take he, that he, could have been, he, he could have been Colossus, and instead he's a failed weed like, drug dealer magnet. Yeah, weed entrepreneur. From the rest of the list, they, they considered J.C. Chavez for Iceman. Uh, for Professor X, Moby, 
and maybe the most TRL, early 2000s TRL casting of the whole thing. This one is my favorite. This is the one that I'm like most intrigued by and that the one that I still kind of like hold out hope we'll get to see someday on screen because it just seems it, it, it seems so crazy. It just might work. For Magneto, Eminem. <laughs> Can you imagine how bad this song would be? <laughs> like the end credits, like over the credits when Eminem comes yeah, in as the beat drops. Exactly. I'm like looking at these and realizing this was also in the time of superhero films where like the actors didn't actually need to have a physique to accomplish the heroes. Like even thinking back to that first X-Men film and Hugh Jack, the way that Hugh Jackman looked is like night and day from how he looked in Logan. Like he was. Put- yeah. I think Hugh Jackman, the first X-Men movie, basically just like a guy who did like a couple pushups in it, like looked moderately fit. The ideal male bod. Yeah. Oh yeah. He, yeah, it was, it was kind of laughable like when you look at it. That slipped right by me. It probably wasn't like laughable at the time. It was like, oh yeah, that, that's what... And we've just like... We have to keep topping the previous shirtless superhero and superhero movies now. There was a time probably like in there like right around the, the first Avenger Thor era where it was getting a little bit ridiculous. Like it couldn't have been healthy for these guys to be doing the sort of juicing they were doing because they looked absurd. Oh yeah, like... Um, Christian Bale in Batman Begins was so huge in that movie. And then he lost all that weight for um, The Machinist. The Machinist. Now he's playing Dick Cheney in a movie. (laughs) Yeah, speaking of weight loss and games. Hey, Dick Cheney's thick. It's okay. (laughs) Oh yeah, Chris just texted us a picture of Hugh Jackman uh, in the first Wolverine movie. And he looks like, he he's not like in bad shape. He's just not, he doesn't look like what you'd consider a superhero to look like now. And like this would pass muster. <laughs> yeah, which <laughs> I would love to have a swimmer's physique. So good for him. You he know? looks great. He, he looks great. You can feel proud about that. <laughs> Unrealistic body standards for men in 2018. <laughs> wish I could wish I could say it was a joke. Must be nice to laugh about it. Uh, <laughs> really quickly before we end uh, the segment that no doubt listeners love, I want to read aloud the section for J.C. Chazé, uh, who they picked to play Iceman. Ice, Iceman. Iceman. Uh, this is how normal English speakers say that. And, and again, this is Copyright Wizard Magazine. I do not own the copyright. Here it is. Young, lean, as smooth as ice. That's what the girlies like about J.C. Chazé from NSYNC, making him a great choice to play Ultimate Iceman. That's what the girlies yeah. like. Which a different time for right yeah. now. A, girlies like is a weird thing. B, Iceman's gay. Uh, C, J.C. Chazé, not the right pick from NSYNC. Are we like showing our ignorance here? Do we sound like old people talking about the young kids these days talking about the girlies <laughs> and the smooth? I love how they're describing him as like, he's deliciously hairless. <laughs> like, <laughs> they wouldn't even need CGI. Nice. He already looks like he's nice. <laughs> A little bit telling about Wizards, uh, Wizard Magazine's uh, fortune. They in March of 2011, it was their final issue, and the cover was Ryan Reynolds as Green Lantern. Wow. So, mm. what a way! To, mm. What a way! Not the out. only waylaid by waylaid by that Green Lantern movie. <laughs> I think Ryan Reynolds owes somebody an apology. <laughs> That's the extent of their casting. And uh, we don't really have any major DC news. Like none of it really came out this week, I guess. So we're just going to have to jump sort of awkwardly right into our conversation about Hawkman and Hot Girl who are happening this week. And I have a question. Ryan, I think this was your idea to do a Hawkman and a Hawkman and Hot Girl episode. Is that true? If I'm, am I remembering this right? It is true. Yes. What was your reasoning for this? Because these are characters that I am. I think all of us are very unfamiliar with. I think I picked them because I think for two reasons and I, and I could be misremembering this. So if I am, uh, please someone correct me. The first comics I ever got really into, um, for almost like in general, um, besides like Batman and like the big ones was, uh, Brad Meltzer's identity crisis, which I know like has some, you know, problematic stuff in it, but, regardless is like very well written and has a lot of like a ton of characters that don't get much play in other books especially standalone ones but i think hawkman was in that and i thought he was cool and then i also got super into green lantern uh when jeff johns was writing him and the entire green lantern saga of like blackest night and like i read that whole thing and then uh brightest day um and then some of jeff johns like justice league stuff 
and Hawkman features in that pretty well too because um, Jeff Johns clearly has an affection for the character. Mostly, I always like characters that don't get a lot of they don't get a lot of recognition from uh, place to place. And I also think uh, it, like it's the same reason I like Moon Knight a lot uh, for Marvel. Like, I think the problem is is that in order for those characters to be cool, they have to give them to good authors who will sort of like play with them, which like is usually nice because, you know, if there's a lesser known character, there's not enough much baggage to have to, uh, or baggage or expectations, depending on how you want to look at it, um, have to get around. So DC has not always done a great job of that with Hawkman. Um, it doesn't help that the character's history is like super convoluted and hard to understand, but I always liked the character. I really loved the idea of, um this sort of like doomed faded love um being at the centerpiece of the character um also the character carries a morning star which is super cool so i think it's morning it's either morning star or mace i'm not sure i think it's a mace it may change kind of based on the like which reboot yeah but like objectively that's the coolest superhero weapon in at least in among the justice league like that's great like he's kind of the wild card it feels like um among the justice league where there's a lot of like you know batman and superman there's always sort of this in in wonder woman like there's always that kind of like you know tension about how they're like these super powerful beings who like don't kill people but like hawkman just kills people and uh you know it like it explores a little bit of that um but you know much like moon knight it has a potential for like great violence and you sort of have to and like that's just part of the character, and so the character is not always played as a straightforward hero, which I think is interesting in a superhero comic. And uh, I do want to say we were we we're going to be joined uh, later on in this episode by Phil Chrisman. Uh, Phil is a he's a professor, he's an author, he's a writer. He talks a lot about things that we're very interested in on this podcast that are not superhero related, but he's also interested in superheroes and he's interested in Hawkman in particular. And Ryan, you lined that one up, I think. You you just followed him on Twitter and reached out to see if he'd want to join us to talk about Hawkman, and he did. Yeah, I saw him tweet about Hawkman. <laughs> I was like, none of us know a lot about him, so maybe this guy will. Because, I mean, he's a really good writer um, and very accomplished. Plus, I thought it was really, really interesting. Like, on Twitter, he's very obviously, like, uh, has more of a political bent towards socialism, uh, which is interesting because a lot of time Hawkman is uh, sort of viewed as, like, you know, definitely to the right in politics and, like, can be even labeled, like, um, depending on how violent it is. Like, some people even accuse him of, like, harboring fascist tendencies um so i was very curious to see like what phil would think or why phil would like a character like hawkman well we got we got into all of that when he we, we spoke a little bit earlier and we'll be we'll play that segment later on in this episode but before i do that so this was for me and, and i would imagine for chris and hannah too sort of the first time i'd really delved into many hawkman comics what do you guys think who aren't right who don't didn't come in with an affection for this character are ready to go it's absolutely insane. Like, I think you had mentioned that early on of just like this stretched you like more than any other like character that you've like you looked into their history on. And like even like it's so it's so polluted, right? Like with like several different iterations of him. And I think like comic book characters have that, but like his back his like his backstory and like the different like pieces of it are really insane, like from like, you know, this what was it? I hope I'm like saying this right. He's either Egyptian prince, like was his original origin. Then they went with space cop, and now they're trying to do like a hybrid of that, or like people have like tried to do a hybrid of that and marry that together. Uh, I've I've been reading the newest run, like post uh, post all the metal stuff, and um, and which I like. I really like. I really enjoyed. Um, and it's really my big introduction to Hawkman. I have enjoyed it, but yeah, like I just like would never have like I would have never have known he had like such a rich like super interesting, super bizarre backstory if it wasn't for like just being pushed to look into the like look into this character and do this episode. It's really fascinating. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. Hey, thanks, <laughs> Hannah. What do you think? I agree with Chris. Um... And also, I, my first introduction to Hawkman, unfortunately, came from his first appearance on Arrow, which is unfortunate, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. as the oftentimes defender of the CW, I do have to say that is unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. Wait, Hawkman is an Arrow? Both yeah. of them are. Hawkman yeah. and Hawkgirl are both 
technically an animal. Oh, I didn't know that. Don't sound excited. You're fine. <laughs> Easy boy. There's nothing to get excited about. It, it was really underwhelming. And and honestly, um, they they played obviously into the uh, the Egyptian elements of that character, but it didn't really amount to anything. So that was where I first learned of him. And I was like, well, okay, well, not intrigued in the slightest. <laughs> so I carried along my married way. And then when we were preparing for our last Batman episode, I read Metal, and Hawkman is a pretty integral part of that story. And so I still, I didn't do too, there was the death of Hawkman that came out right before that, which I, I think a lot of people enjoy that. I haven't read that yet. And then I decided to read Hawkworld, which is like a mini series that came out, I think like eight, 1989. Yeah. I kept hearing about it while re- researching this, but I didn't actually get a chance to read it. It is so good. And the art, normally like the art from the early 90s, I feel like generally sucks, but the art was incredible. Written by Tim Truman, I believe that's his last name. It's fantastic. And there is a, you know, like a subsequent series that came out after that to kind of fall along but it didn't it, like a lot of those like the dc backlog it's, it's hard to get them and it was a little confusing it's not as easy like if it was on like marvel unlimited it would be i feel like a, a totally easy thing for, for for readers to pick up on it was a little difficult though to know where to go from there also dc comics are expensive when you don't have a subscription base and i mm-hmm. have subscribed to the dc universe testing it out and the only thing that was available on there was um savage hawkman by Rob Lee Phil. But I can't say enough good things about Hawkworld. It was incredible. Highly recommend it. Okay, I'm going to have to pull it up then. I just didn't I just didn't get a chance to read it before I before we recorded this, but I'm glad to hear. I, I think that we even, I, I talked about it with Phil a little bit during our conversation. He said very similar things to you, Hannah. I feel like before we get too much further into this conversation, uh, we should give a little bit of background on who Hawkman and Hawkgirl is, because I know they're not necessarily super well-known characters. And as we've already discussed, they are a little bit complicated. So we try to explain a little bit of that as best as we can in the script. If you've been listening to this show for a while, you may have noticed that the publication origins of a lot of these characters barely hinted at how grand their futures would be. When Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster created Superman, they weren't really looking to make a messianic figure burdened with commentary about American exceptionalism. They were just a couple of teen boys who thought a super strong sci-fi man would be cool. The X-Men weren't originally intended as a civil rights metaphor. Mutants were just a convenient way to create a lot of potentially superpowered people very quickly. It took other writers building on the foundations of the original germ of an idea to create something more substantive and symbolic. If you're willing to see superheroes as modern myths, then this makes sense. This is how most myths evolve. The tradition gets richer as more and more people tell and retell the story. It's how we got from Robert Hood, the 13th century murderer who lurked in the shadows of Wakefield Forest, to Robin Hood, the merry outlaw and archer extraordinaire of Sherwood. So that's an example of a myth that evolved naturally and successfully, slowly winnowing out versions that weren't quite as compelling before finally unifying around a generally accepted popular narrative. But what happens when the evolution isn't so successful, when the multiple versions never quite gel and you're left with a Frankenstein's monster of a character comprised of multiple parts that don't really fit. Let's talk about Hawkman. Even by superhero standards, Hawkman is old. His first appearance was all the way back in 1940 in the first appearance of His first appearance was way back in 1940 in the first issue of Flash Comics, the same comic book that introduced the first Flash. Hawkman's origin was a bonus story about an archaeologist named Carter Hall. As luck would have it, Carter Hall discovered that he was a reincarnated Egyptian prince able to fly with the power of a mysterious substance called the Ninth Metal. He had a weird helmet with a hawk head on it and spent most of his time flying around hitting things with a mace. He joined the Justice Society, was generally uncomplicated, and remained so until superhero comics fell out of fashion after the end of World War II and Hawkman and the rest all but disappeared. 
Superhero comics came back in the 60s for what comic book nerds call the Silver Age, and DC started rebooting its old heroes, in many cases giving them new civilian identities and updated origin stories. For example, the new Flash was a young scientist named Barry Allen instead of Jay Garrick. The new Green Lantern was a fighter pilot named Hal Jordan instead of Alan Scott. But here's where things start to go awry, just slightly. The new Hawkman wasn't an archaeologist named Carter Hall. He was an alien police officer from the planet Bangar named, ready? Katar Hole. These names sound similar, but they're spelled differently. Carter Hall is spelled just like it sounds, Carter with a C. Katar Hole is spelled with a K. Now, on its own, this wasn't a big deal. The new Hawkman looked and acted more or less like the old one, although he was given a politically conservative bent. Turns out, even in outer space, cops tend to lean right. He joined the Justice League, and if DC had left well enough alone and just chosen to ignore the Carter Hall Hawkman of the 1940s, maybe it would have stayed that way. But then, in 1989, DC launched a series called Hawk World, a solo adventure for Hawkman and his partner Hawkwoman, in which the two Thanagarian police officers show up on Earth for the first time. But DC had messed up. The Hawkworld story was depicted as a modern origin story of Hawkman's introduction to Earth, but it already had a Hawkman with a long-established history whose adventures were appearing in books like the Justice League in his own series. In other words, it now appeared that there were two identical alien cops named Hawkman flying in DC, one of which had been around for decades and was good friends with Batman, Superman, and the rest, and the other of which had just arrived. Now, this is where it gets confusing. See if you can follow this. DC realized their mistake and scrambled for an explanation. It was retroactively explained that the Hawkman and Hawkwoman, who'd been around for a long time, was in fact a third Hawkman, a Thanagarian police officer named Fel Andar, and his human wife. This Hawkman was posing as the son of the first Hawkman, the archaeologist Carter Hall, Fel Anders' alien father had visited Earth during World War II, where he met Carter Hall and was inspired to go back to his home planet and model the police force after our Earth's Hawkman. This neatly tied together the Egyptian prince origin story of the first Hawkman with the Thanagarian alien police force origin story of the later ones. Okay, so to recap, we now have three Hawkmen, the reincarnated Egyptian prince turned archaeologist Carter Hall, Fel Andar, a Thanagarian cop posing as Carter Hall's son, and Katar Hull, another Thanagarian cop. Nobody was under any delusions that this was sustainable, so the 90s saw another attempt to simplify Hawkman's origins. Due to some mystical mumbo-jumbo, Hawk Girl and the various Hawkmen were magically merged into one single hero called Hawk God. This iteration of the character was eventually banished to another dimension when he lost his grip on reality. So another attempt was made to simplify the Hawkman problem, this time by resurrecting our archaeologist, Carter Hall, while giving him some of the memories and personality traits of Katar Hole. This storyline by Ace DC writers Jeff Johns was actually pretty successful and had a dedicated cult around it, but was wiped off the map with everything else when DC launched its new 52 crossover event, which rebooted all its characters. Meaning... Hawkman got yet another origin story, this time as a runaway Thanagarian prince named Katar Hull, who crash lands on Earth, forgets who he is entirely, thinks he's human, and takes the name Carter Hall because he has a vague memory of having a name that sounds sort of like that. Now, if you're confused here, that's sort of the point. I did my best in researching this to simplify everything as much as possible, but the big takeaway here is that I ran into the same problem DC keeps running into. There is no way to simplify it. No one version of the character has really caught the public imagination, unlike Bruce Wayne or Tony Stark. And since there are at least two Hawkmen named Carter Hall and Katar Hole, comic book creators keep twisting the story in pretzels to explain why a reincarnated Egyptian prince and an extraterrestrial cop with nearly identical names both feel compelled to dress up in a giant bird costume and smash bad guys with a mace. But Hawkman and Hot Girl linger on the fringes of the public imagination, even showing up in the Justice League animated series and the CW's Arrowverse. There is something to these characters, even if their stories haven't quite threaded the needle yet. And that's the power of a really good character. They work. 
even when the story around them doesn't. Based on you guys' reading, and, and Ryan, you're probably the most well-versed in all of this. Of all of the different iterations of Hawkman and Hawkman that we've seen, the sort of Egyptian god and go- goddess royalty reincarnated, the sort of fascist space cop who comes to Earth. And then there's been attempts at hybrids of the two to bring them together. What do you think is the most effective or what, which do you think has been the source of the better stories? I mean, I think like most of us, my, you know, actual dipping into standalone Hawkman comics is pretty limited, if only because like they haven't given Hawkman to very many kind of marquee authors. Um, I read a lot of Jeff John's run on the character, um, which is like pretty hit or miss. I think it was um, either around the same time and, and I could be wrong because I'm not looking this up, but um, it's either around the same time or before his uh, kind of notable run. Uh, on the flash so it was when he was, it was definitely like when he was pretty green on dc and like i think where he takes the character is really interesting um i would say if you want to read it for the first time like the first like half of the initial collection is like okay but my favorite iteration of hawkman is when is is kind of the combo you know person who's on earth like defending his friends on earth is like usually is carter hall and then, um, who you know, maybe goes to space every once in a while to, like, visit that weird planet. But I think, like, my favorite iteration is when the character knows that they are fated, or when the characters uh, know that they're fated to fall in love, and that, like, in doing so, they will die, and that, like, it will kickstart this, like, re- this cycle of rebirth and regeneration again. And when they're like aware of kind of all the past lives they've lived, because um, it's, I just think it's this really interesting examination of like, would you still love someone even if you knew you were fated to it? And, you know, you knew that that would cost you your life, basically. So, yeah, I just think that's kind of an interesting like subtext to all of the sort of adventures that happen and makes it really layered um, and kind of tragic in a way that I don't think necessarily like a lot of superhero comics get at. Granted, you have to like get through a lot of crap, I think, to get at that really interesting nugget. But uh, that to me is the most interesting part of the character. I do think that also helps make it more something that that these comics especially some of these older comics struggle with is when they create the female counterpart to the main guy the main character whether it be batgirl or supergirl it can be a sort of uh damaging to the the female character always exists in the shadow of the main guy and she's either the rookie or she's the one who needs rescuing the damsel in distress uh, or just sort of a, she just doesn't show up all that much. She just comes in as a bit character now and then that happens a lot. And that still happens in a lot of these comics. But because of the the doomed love and the the fate and the, or the curse or, or it changes a little bit through this uh, throughout these series. But Hawkman and Hawkwoman have really been in many ways equal partners and equal players in the Hawk world mythos, especially in the ones that I've read. They they sort of go together, and each one seems a little a di- little bit diminished without the other around. I'm curious if that was the case in Hawk World, Hannah. In this story, then I didn't read really too much of the subsequent series that came out in the mini series. She's definitely not nearly as important as Hawkman or in this, they don't, he doesn't really go by Hawkman. It's uh, Qatar, Qatar Hall. Qatar Hall. Yeah. It, it really, it, it's pretty singular and it's focus on that. Like it doesn't, it's not trying to mash up the two characters. Um, I can't speak too much for the series that comes after that, that in that particular mini series, she's important, but not really until the very end. So no. <laughs> 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 I wish I could was surprised. That aspect of it, like having having Hulk Girl into it, like hearing that, because again, like I've only read the newest run, like getting into the newest run, and she like she doesn't have a presence in it. Uh, it's very much been a Hawkman book, and him like discovering more about himself. So, like hearing that that is hearing the background of that and the connection that they have and the stories that can evolve out of that sounds really fascinating and kind of makes me wish I would have spent more time exploring more of the connection between Hawkman and Hawkgirl. Because that sounds like that's an interesting thing to chew on of like, Hey, like 
I'm going to choose to love you, even though I know it means the end of my life, like, or, you know, will it, it, like, it means my doom. Like, I love that question. There's like something similar in one of my favorite movies, Arrival, yeah, uh, yeah. that that happens. And so, so when I hear you talk about that, like that's where my mind immediately goes. So I'd love to like read more into that. Well, as luck would have it, that is actually something that Phil and me talked a little bit about in what is going to be our second ever of hopefully many more guest segments, which we'll get into next. I actually think that I was sort of left out of the initial uh, hunt to get you on this podcast because Ryan came to the table and was like, guess who wants to be on our podcast? And I don't know the initial story. How did you, how did you even like, what was his approach for you? I had a dream in which I had started uh, a podcast about Hawkman. Um, oh. And it was, it was one of those times where your dreams, which, which, you know, it would be a completely ridiculous thing to do, but also probably funny. And it was one of those times when your subconscious is, is trolling you, like, um, <laughs> you know, pr- producing like a slightly exaggerated version of a thing that you would actually do in real life. I don't remember which of my friends retweeted, retweeted that, like, ha, look at this strange person. <laughs> um, but I, I think that is what, what started this. So I I like to posit myself, as you should on a podcast, as an expert in the subject you're podcasting about. And I think I know like a decent amount about comic books and superhero characters. This one, getting the Hawkman episode together has been, it's been humbling. It's been a good reminder that I don't know all that much because Hawkman really is like a, a pretty much a blank slate on my, like, mm-hmm. character. I've read, I've read a lot recently, but before this, he's been, I mostly only know the costume, the helmet, and, um, <laughs> I guess the mace, like, that's my big memory is like a, like a big mace. And that's, and that's like the old, my only real connection point to it. So I'm going to need you to explain to me what it is about Hawkman, a Hawkman podcast that your subconscious was screaming at you. Like why that was an appealing <laughs> idea. Yeah, um, that's a very fair Other than filling a void, um, like there's obviously a podcast, like a Hawkman <laughs> podcast void in the, in the universe of horrors of it, void. So I guess there's that. But why are you, yeah, why would you be I, the one to fill the void? One, it, it's it's partly just happenstance, but I, I also think that that expresses something about, um, that in itself expresses something about, uh, sort of the relationship between fans and, and costume superheroes. So, you know, he just happens, I think in some ways he's a, he's a very basic character. Um, I, I mean, when, when you look at the original, uh, like the really old Gardner Fox, uh, golden age, Hawk, you know, birth to, Hawkman, like you, you almost just imagine them pressed for a backup story feature and needing um, a bunch of signifiers that would generically signify comic book superhero or, or comic strip superhero. So sure. you get, um, oh, uh, we get let let let's take a guy who's basically just um, one of the I think bad guys in the Alex Raymond Flash Gordon comics. And also, let's throw in ancient Egypt and reincarnation because kids like that. It's very Boris Karloff mummy kind of kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, just like a bunch of adventure fiction and comic strip tropes just got thrown together, um, you know. And and they they make him a, a millionaire playboy because that's just what people did at at the you know Bruce Wayne is that Wesley Dodds the original Sandman is that like that's that's also part of the template and so he becomes this character that all sorts of whatever superhero comics are doing at the moment gets grafted onto him mm-hmm. uh throughout his history and which makes him i think for discerning and grown up comic book fans makes him kind of uh an often boring character although i i do think like the current series there, there have been good takes on him including the current one but um that also means that when he's eight years old or when you're eight years old and you literally your taste has not been formed and like someone can put like a hack you know, very generic issue of any like really bad DC book in front of you or a Grant Morrison book. And you don't know the difference because you're eight. Um, <laughs> right. That makes him, that makes him seem cool. 
And, and so he, he just is like the superhero that I imprinted on as a dumb eight-year-old in the 1980s, when if I'd had any sense, I would have been buying like Alan Moore Swamp Thing, <laughs> you know, so I'd have bragging rights later in life. But instead, because I was eight, I was the actual audience or I was the audience that comics are supposed to, ha- to have, but did not actually have by that point. Um, I thought he was real cool. You know, he's a, he's a space cop archeologist and uh, that's, that's cool when you're eight. <laughs> <laughs> and it allows for a lot of like, I feel like when you have a character like Hawkman, who's, who's both sort of like at the same time, sort of totally free from any from a pop culture understanding of the character which gives writers a lot of freedom to make him into whatever they like what kind of character do i want Mm -hmm. my hawkman run Mm -hmm. to be but at the same time he's also sort of trapped by these various competing lores and probably the most confusing origin story multiple origin stories that i've ever found it's it's him or donna troy has the most like convoluted backstory in the DC universe. I did research for this, my Thank initial goodness. podcast appearance as a Hawkmanologist. <laughs> um, and I'm doing like, you know, I got, I got drunk one night and went on an internet bender. But one thing that is interesting is that in the nineties that for a period of time that actually made him untouchable, um, like Grant Morrison was told not to bother using him or so I read during his, his I came across the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why Grant Morrison had to invent this angel character, which of course, like that's kind of a, that's good for Morrison because it means he can play with the, with mythology and theology in the, in the way that he likes to do. But, but I think now that makes Hawkman and almost, and Hawkwoman unavoidable characters because at this point in the history of the, the superhero comic book, it's basically an unending loop of of big events in which significant stretches of backstory are rewritten or, or the universe is rebooted. It's just reboot after reboot after reboot. Like that is that is where DC Comics is at this moment and, and Marvel increasingly too. Mm-hmm. In a way that almost makes me think that their their status as intellectual property generating arms of movie studios. Like it's, it's the comic book was this or kind of organic, almost like a folk art or mass art form that, that had a, a broad customer base. And now it doesn't, the movie studios are just kind of keeping, keeping Marvel and DC alive as a, a you know, farm team. <laughs> and that makes, that makes the superhero comic as a form very obsessed with its own history and legacy, which means the minute you start tinkering with the sort of metaphysics of the DC universe, now you need to bring in Hawkman precisely and Donna Troy and Hawkwoman precisely because they are the the VHS tapes that kept getting taped over and over and Mm -hmm. over and over again, Mm -hmm. right? They are the characters who are most redolent of the idea of the, of the reboot so now you know they were untouchable and now they're unavoidable precisely because of the incomprehensibility of the backstory and sometimes in certain characters histories the convoluted backstory gets pared down you've seen this happen a few times with carol danvers where they just wipe the slate clean and decide okay no rogue thing no binary character this is just this is what happened and it works and people just and comic book fans have an understanding readers have an understanding with studios that that's going to happen occasionally and they and they don't seem to mind very much but dc in a lot of ways has continued to try to put this square peg into a round hole with two different an archaeologist slash a Thanagarian space cop. One may not may or may not be a reincarnated version of the other. They can't quite ever divorce the convoluted legacy for reasons that maybe are kind of understandable, but still make it difficult to jump on to any Hawkman book and know what they're talking about, even when it's in something like the New 52, which is allegedly a clean slate. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I've wondered about that, why that is, and I wonder if it's partly because the idea of reincarnation was built into the character like right there at the beginning. Yeah. Um, 
so you're it's it's there's already in 1941 a sense of jumping onto a potentially convoluted backstory but i also think it's partly that you know i mean i guess jeff johns is as close as you get in the in the 2000s but there hasn't really been a sort of era defining version of hawkman so none of the Nobody's run on the book is any is that much cooler than anybody else's. I have my personal favorites, but they're you let's know, talk about those. I what really, would be your what would be your recommendations for like the all time insofar as Hawkman has all time greats and Hawkwoman? Because we even said I think yeah, when we were chatting yeah. about this that you feel like Hawkwoman slash Hawk Girl is probably the better part of the Hawkman mythos. Yeah, we're we're, we're equally important, um, and I think that has do with my personal favorite version of the of the title, which I'm not sh- I am not sure that I can seriously argue that it, it holds up brilliantly. Um, but it it blew my mind when I was eight years old, which is the Tony <laughs> Isabella is the Tony Isabella version um, from the eighties, which I've been, you know, trying to actually think why I like that take so much. And I'm I'm gonna do the annoying um clickbait think piece thing that a lot of writers do, uh, like cultural critics where they uh how Green Lantern taught me that it was okay to be weird or you know, oh, how, no, that, that, uh, that's Star our bread and butter on this podcast. You're right up our alley. <laughs> yeah. How Star Sapphire taught me it was okay <laughs> to love pretty things. So Tony Isabella has like pretty good politics for a, a white dude in his fifties. Like you read his you read his Twitter, he's always getting attacked by comic skaters, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he invented Black Lightning back in the 70s or 80s because he thought there needed to be more black superheroes, and he seems like a, he seems like a decent-hearted dude in a lot of ways, and his version presented them as very much, uh, Hawkman and Hawkwoman as very much partners, um, like they needed each other equally in this uh, fight against uh, a secret Panagarian invasion of of the planet Earth, which for stupid hand-wavy reasons uh, the rest of the DC universe couldn't get involved in. Um, You know, so they can drag the thing out for several issues. But, I mean, they really, they were portrayed as as sort of, you know, genuinely fighting equally together. There's there's one issue, or like a two-issue arc where... uh, the Thanagarians bring back one of Hawkman's uh, lesser villains, uh, Lion Mane, uh, and Hawk, who, who is a nice man who, if he touches a certain meteorite, he turns into a lion person. <laughs> I love very, comics. Very, that, that's great. I love that, comics. That's perfect. This is the most Julius Schwartz thing ever. Uh-huh. And and Hawkman gets his ass kicked, and at the end of that, the first issue, he's in the hospital, probably dying, although, you know, not really. And uh, the next issue is just Hawkwoman um, beating Lion Mane, partly because, you know, she has to, it's her job, she's a superhero, partly she's really mad that that he messed with her husband. I don't know how many people can relate to this who are listening, but I grew up fundamentalist uh-huh. uh, Christian, and I grew up being taught a model of marriage that was very much about separate spheres. Uh, the, the man has these jobs, the, the woman has these jobs, and... I found that I, the sort of degree of partnership between them, even as a you know pre-sexual eight-year-old, I, I thought that was I thought that was cool. I thought the idea of a woman who likes a man so much that when he loses a fight, she doesn't say, "Oh, well, I I no longer love you," which is sort of <laughs> the kind of masculine ideology that I was presented with as a kid. You know, instead she's like so mad that she like beats the crap out of a out of a lion dude i think i found that compelling uh and i think it was a good influence on me as a as a fundamentalist eight-year-old so thank you tony isabella for teaching me uh about uh equality in in marriage i guess well i love that run for probably stupid indefensible personal reasons and then i you know i think the 2000s uh jeff john's version of the book is 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 quite entertaining and, and works pretty well. And if you like this, if you like the Silver Age and the and the inherent ridiculousness of it, I think just sort of reading through a half dozen of the old, um, the '60s Gardner Fox 
Hawkman and Hawkman and Adam books. It's just fun. You said you grew up a little bit fundamentalist. We didn't really introduce you to the to the readership, and I apologize for that. Can you tell us a little bit just about like what you do? Yeah, um, I uh, I'm a writer. I my stuff appears in Hedgehog Review, you know, more or less frequently. Common Wheel Magazine, Christian. Uh, the Christian Century. Uh, I had a piece in the Point magazine just last week. So I write essays and cultural criticism. Uh, and I teach uh, first-year writing at the University of Michigan. Uh, I've, I've got a, a student who uh, is a big DC guy. So uh, yeah, shout out to that dude. Uh, his name's Noah. And uh, and uh, I also am the editor of the Michigan Review of Prisoner Creative Writing. Uh, which is a, a journal that is produced here at the Prison Creative Arts Project. So I guess that's what my deal is. Have you ever had a wild hair to try to write a, a superhero comic or even just get into the graphic novel format? Yeah, uh, I, have, I have an artist friend. We were going to try doing something like that, and then he he got a bunch of commissions and had to back out of, uh, you know, strictly for fun projects. But my one of my dreams is to become, you know, famous enough that I can be one of those stunt hires. They just ask you, you know, they're just like take any title you want. Right, right. Oh, like, same. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like and Jody Poe writing Wonder Woman and, and you know, just destroy the title with my delays and cluelessness because <laughs> it's actually a totally difficult form that requires years of experience. Uh, definitely like that's the dream here. So uh final question. For Hawkman, because he's such a, like you said, a very elastic character, a character who really any writer can do, can put any imprint on him that they want to, what do you think is the definitive Hawkman characterization? If they were going to take it to the movies, let's say, what would be the angle they would need for it to work? You either just like lean into the space detective thing, um, you know, um, product of an authoritarian society who comes to Earth and likes our cool police methods better. Uh, I, I think that's the way you do it if you're doing a, a kind of standalone Hawkman movie. Um, if he's part of a cinematic universe, which God knows DC is terrible at those. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I think if he's, if he's part of like a larger, a larger project, then I, then I think you embrace the insane backstory and just lean all the way into it and, uh, dare the viewer to, to keep up. So it depends on whether it's a standalone or not. Well, Phil, hey, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for being flexible with, with us. And thank you for enlightening me about Hawkman. Because like I said, I feel like I'm in many ways the blind leading the blind on this podcast episode, on most of them, but this one in particular. So getting your input here is really helpful. Yeah, no problem. It was fun. Thank you, Phil, so much for joining us. Uh, we'll make sure to include Phil's Twitter handle, which you, uh, in the show notes here, so you can follow him and learn more about Hawkman and also be radicalized by his socialist economic policies that he <laughs> as part of his uh, writing. Uh, and also, if we, if you ever want to be part of the uh, feature on a guest thing of it, where you can talk about a character that you love, I hope that you'll hit us up on Twitter or on Facebook. We're always looking for people to join us and talk a little bit about these characters. So do let us know. Someone did ask for uh like like our schedule and yeah that's what i want to talk to you guys about i wanted to air this out on the record for everybody what what we think about this because chris as you're saying what we usually do is at the end of every recording the four of us talk about which character we want to do next and it's always it's always a surprise even to us and sometimes we don't even decide until a week before but is it time to take this to the next level and plan out like the next month, the next six months in advance so that people can get kind of excited about or, or start reading ahead of time so they can uh, actually join it? Would that be more interesting? Or do we like the the fast-paced, wheeling and dealing, ramshackle, you never know what's going to come next structure that we've had so far? I like giving people an op- opportunity. Like if they want to like dive into like us, even give us some, like what we're reading and then they can like be a part of the conversation. So I, I'm totally down to like, actually start giving people a schedule and seeing what we're up to. Yeah. I think um, I would say if people want to do that, like, you know, almost form like a reading club, which would be really cool. I think if you want to do that, like give us some of your like characters that you want to see covered. And, you know, that I think will help us narrow it down. So generally we try to plan around like 
kind of cultural moments in stuff. So we probably won't, like, I, I would say, like, we probably won't veer from that much, but, you know, in times where, like, you know, where we've got a Hawkman week, um, <laughs> you know, we can certainly talk about, we can certainly talk about other stuff, especially if people are curious about uh, delving into a character. And, um, yeah, I think getting pitches and, you know, almost forming, like, a de facto online, like, reading circle would be really cool. Yeah, I agree. Cool. All right. <laughs> cool is good. Cool is good. All right. Well, then we will start posting uh, a schedule ahead of time, uh, which you'll be able to find on Twitter. Uh, if you follow us on there, we'll post it on Facebook, and uh, and we can that way you'll be able to keep up, and maybe even try to give you a little bit of recommended reading ahead of time, so that you're not coming in totally blind when we start talking about these characters on individual episodes. We don't actually know who's going to be next right now, I don't think, because there's really no major movies or anything coming out until Aquaman uh, and then Shazam after that. And then we got a very busy season coming up starting in 2019. So we're looking forward to it. And with that, I think we'll wrap it up. Thanks for listening to this episode, everybody. Uh, if you like what you heard, please go give us a good review at, at on our Apple podcast page. That really helps us. It helps more people hear us, and, and it allows us to be a little more creative and have more fun with the characters we get to pick and get into. Uh, if you don't like what you listen to, then keep it to yourself or talk about it with your friends and family. Don't talk about it on social media. We want to make sure we always say thank you to CM Studios, to Chad and Jesse, are the ones who keep us sounding good out there. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Chris Youngblood. I'm Hannah Mazel. And I'm Ryan Ham. No need for thanks, citizen. We'll see you next time. <laughs>